Now, in 1954, Winston Churchill wrote these words in a book titled Self-Portrait. Life is a test, and this world is a place of trial. Churchill certainly faced many overwhelming trials in his life, many tests. And while we're not of his stature, these words still resonate with us because even though we're ordinary people, we often feel like we have more than our share of testing. The Apostle Paul talked about testing in his first letter to the church in Corinth, writing, No testing has overtaken you, but taken you that is not common to everyone. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide a way so that you may be able to endure it. In this life, everyone is tested. There are no exemptions. You may be familiar with the translation that begins, no temptation has overtaken you. So why is this different? The noun that Paul used in this verse comes from a verb that means to experiment on something as one would take some metal and run it through tests to determine its purity and its worth, sometimes even to find out exactly what kind of metal it is. So testing is a perfectly legitimate word to translate this verse. Also, every temptation that we face is a test. We either pass by choosing the right thing or we fail by doing the wrong thing. Our focus this morning is on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, which end with the verse that we just read. We're going to explore the Old Testament stories that are used by Paul to help us learn how we can pass the test that life presents us. Now, do you find it odd that Paul, writing to a church that was a non-Jewish audience, would use the Old Testament the way he did? I think he was accomplishing two goals. First was that he was making his point about the nature of testing. And secondly, he was reminding the Corinthians that the Old Testament stories were part of their family history because God had adopted them into the family, his family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray that God will help us learn from these chapters this morning how to pass the test that we encounter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, guide our minds this morning as we carefully look at these verses so that we may be alert and prepared for the test that we face and that we might live lives that bring you glory. Amen. We're going to see three kinds of tests this morning in three Old Testament stories that Paul mentions. The first kind of test we face is because of our need to be in control. The second kind of testing is connected to our desires. We too often want something that isn't good for us. Third kind of test is generated by our feelings of personal entitlement. We demand what we want and we complain when we don't get what we feel we deserve. So let's get right down to business this morning. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 4, where Paul reminds us of the great, even miraculous benefits and blessings that the Israelites received from God. You can follow the passage in your Bible, or it'll be on the screen. 
For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ was active in the rescue of Israel from slavery, and he refers to Jesus as their rock. I was thinking about that this past week, and, and I remember to him that I sang frequently enough as a young person that I can remember almost all of it now. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is and always has been the rock of our salvation. In the wilderness, he gave the families of Israel what they needed for their journey. Now let's review. What did God do for Israel in the Exodus? First, he delivered them from slavery to the Egyptians. Second, he destroyed Pharaoh's army, making their escape possible. Third thing, he led them through a rough and arid wilderness, giving them water when necessary and a daily supply of food. In dramatic ways, God's love and power were on visible display for everyone to see. It was a good time to be part of the family of Abraham. They were greatly blessed by God, but they failed the test. I think Paul wanted the Corinthian church to remember that they too have been blessed and gifted by God in amazing ways. I want you to imagine what Paul might have said to the Corinthians, and, and we're taking his words out of different parts of the book to fabricate this conversation. You speak with tongues? Well, good for you. Israel ate manna from heaven. You prophesy miraculously? Well, God's people walked on dry land through a vast open water of body, a body of water. Can you beat that? And yet, none of those experiences of God's deliverance meant that, the, meant that the Israelites were set for life or granted some sort of lifelong privilege, and neither are you. Experiencing God's miraculous blessing doesn't immunize us against the need to daily meet the tests and temptations that come our way. You can imagine Paul saying something like that to them. The Israelites were blessed in dramatic ways, and yet, in the end, they failed in their tests. The Corinthian church needed to take that as a warning, and so do we. Let's focus on Paul's analysis of their failure, starting with verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Let's hear these words again from a different translation. This is from the message written by Eugene Peterson from Regent College. 
We must be on guard that we never get caught up in wanting our own way, as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus, as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. They were blessed, yet they failed the test. And this should have been a warning to the church in Corinth. We who hear Paul's words today must make an effort to heed these warnings. For we hear Paul say, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Why did they fail? They failed the test because they had set their hearts on evil things. They don't really sound that evil necessarily, but they were. It's dangerously easy for us to fall into the trap of desiring things that are wrong being blind all the time to the danger. It's also difficult, it's also easy for us to fail the test by not having the courage to do the right thing or the thing that feels difficult or risky. That was true in Corinth in the first century and it's true for us today. We need to pay attention to these stories and to the hope that Paul offers to us. Paul says that they had set their hearts on evil things which led to the failing of the test. Our job this morning is to, is to answer the question, what exactly did that look like to set their hearts on evil things? We can identify three things. One, they wanted to be in control. They didn't trust God enough to let him be in control. Number two, they wanted to live according to their desires, not God's instructions. Number three, they had a sense of entitlement. They somehow thought that God owed them something, and they complained when they didn't get it. There's one other test in there, but I, for the sake of time, I left it out, and I apologize for that. You can go back and tease it out of the text later on this afternoon. It's where the uh, serpents show up. This morning, I want to examine each of these tests so that we can learn from their experience. We don't want to fail the test. The first failure was a result of their turning from God to idols. Verse 7, we read, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written that people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You see the golden calf. We'll come back to that critter in a minute. We go back to the golden calf, which we find in Exodus chapter 32. I want to read that story starting with verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain... They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. There was a lot nastier than that if you go ahead and read through the story. There was a lot going on there that should never have happened among God's people. Now, Paul was obviously thinking about this story as we see in this slide where he, we contrast two verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 7, Do not be idolatrous as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. In verse 7 of Exodus 32, Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Very clear where Paul's going. They failed the test by replacing the God who had delivered them from slavery with an idol, a golden calf. Now, why would they have done such a thing? Well, an appealing thing about idols is that they are under our control. We make them. We put them where we want them to be. We even hide them out of sight when we want to. The only thing, the only rules that they give us are the ones that we make up. We control the narrative. The gods that we make for ourselves, our idols, are much less demanding and more like us. In other words, we know we're in control. The, their second test was a result of their unwillingness to follow God's instructions. The story is found in Numbers 25, where we read, While Israel was staying in Shittim, the people began to have sexual relationships with the women of Moab. That's verse 1 of chapter 25. They failed the test by refusing to follow God's instructions regarding sex outside of marriage covenant and by marrying foreigners. Now, why would God have imposed such rules? Because he knows what is best for us. He's, he is our creator. He designed us and made us, and he has the wisdom to know and to tell us how things are supposed to work. But they ignored God's instructions. And the punishment was immediate. 23,000 died in one day. Now, God, our creator, has given us operating instructions. And there is one area where we seem to be more inclined to resist his instructions than some others, and that's sexual behavior. We too often think we can get away with ignoring our father's rules. As individuals and as a culture, we desire sovereignty over our sexuality. We want to make our own rules. The Church of Jesus, individually and corporately, must maintain our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Creator, and follow his instructions, even if they sometimes feel arbitrary and difficult. It doesn't help that so many voices encourage us to ignore them as antiquated or unenlightened and obstacles to our personal fulfillment. And these days, there are huge pressures on churches to discard God's instructions. May we find, through prayer, through diligent and careful Bible study, and through the mutual encouragement in the strength, may we find the strength to be obedient to our Creator and to our Lord.
Now, what happens if we fail to keep the rules? It happens often in the church. There are painful consequences, not because God is vindictive, but because we harm ourselves and we harm others when we fail to follow his instructions. The people who made your car, no matter what brand it is, gave you a set of instructions to go along with it. It tells you things like, change your oil. Well, you could ignore those if you want. It's your car. Do with it what you, what you will. But if you don't change your oil, pretty soon you're going to get to a point where that car won't run. And it's going to cost you a lot of money to fix it. Pay attention to the operating instructions. Now, should a brother or sister fail to live according to God's instructions for sexual activity, there must be confession. There must be repentance. There must be turning in a right direction and renewing a commitment to make Jesus Lord of every part of our lives, especially our sexual relationships. The third test appears to come from a sense of entitlement. They seemed to feel like God owed them something. And even when they were given gifts, they weren't satisfied with that. They didn't like what they had received. They grumbled. They complained. Moses was leading them to a good land, but they had to go through a very harsh land to get there, a barren wilderness. And it wasn't long before they began to fear that they would die in that wilderness due to shortage of food and water. The story is found in Numbers 21. In that story, a Canaanite king and his army attacked them taking some captives. But the people quickly, wisely turned to God in prayer, and God delivered them, gave them victory over their enemy. That's, verse, that's a, a brief part of the story. It takes three verses. The very next two verses tell the rest of the story. They traveled through Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. They weren't exactly telling the truth. They did have food. And God always gave them water when they needed it. But they said, we hate this detestable food. What were they talking about? You go back ten chapters, and you see that God had already, ten chapters earlier, given them the manna that fed them every day. And when they got tired of the manna, as they said in, in, in uh, I guess it was chapter 10 or 11 of 10, uh, we hear them complaining, if only we had meat to eat. There's nothing at all but this manna. So God gave them quail. And now 10 chapters later, they're tired of manna and quail. And we hear them say, we hate this detestable food. Instead of being thankful for the food that they had been given, they complained as if they thought they deserved something better. This is so typical for human beings. We regularly want more, and we want better, and we gripe, and we blame others when we don't get what we want because we feel entitled. Now, we have lived quite comfortable lives in North America relative to much of the world, and we had it pretty good. And then COVID hit. And it felt like everything fell apart overnight. But we survived. We're still here, and we're doing relatively well. 
But now we're under the threat of a war. It seems like it could quickly turn into some kind of nuclear holocaust. And that frightens us. And our economy seems to be coming unraveled. And, and the other day, Wendy and I went to buy groceries, and we noticed the gas station. It was $1.63 a liter, and we came out half an hour later a lot poorer, and gas was now $1.73 a liter. And we feel alarmed. And we say, how are we going to pay for all these things? They're frightening days. It's a time of testing. Where will we put our trust? Will we trust God? Or will we worry and complain? Paul reminded the Corinthians of the test that Israel faced in the wilderness because they served as an example for those of us today. We need to remember th that the Israelites, with all of their blessings, failed all three tests. They practiced idolatry, creating gods that they wanted them to be, gods that they could control. They followed their own desires, not God's instructions. They wanted gods that would let them do whatever they pleased. They complained about God's goodness as if they deserved a lot more and a lot better. Are we at risk of setting our hearts on such evil things? Those are the three evil things that Paul's talking about, wanting to be in control, wanting to do what you want, uh, complaining about what you don't have. We're no different or better than the Israelites. We, too, are fallen creatures. We must keep alert. We must help one another. We want to pass the tests. Paul has good news for us. We heard it earlier. We'll hear it again. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Our hope of passing the test is found in God's promises. There are three, according to Paul. Everyone faces the same test. Well, not the same exact ones, but we're all on the same level playing field. They're not that different. They work the same way. The details will be different, but the temptations will all work in the same manner. We're all alike in that. And God will not let us be tested beyond our ability to endure or resist. We can pass any test that comes our way. He knows what we can handle. We may argue, well, no, I couldn't. I tried, I, tr I couldn't. No, that's not what Paul said. We can pass the test. God gives us a way out. That's the third promise. There's always a way to say no. There's always an escape. It comes down to the proper use of our wills. We've been blessed with the ability to make choices, to use our will. We must choose to let God control us, not trying to control him. We must not treat him as an idol of our making. We must choose to live according to God's instructions and not our desires or not even what culture tells us to do. We must choose to be content with what God has given us. And finally, and this is maybe the most important part, and, and thanks to Wendy who gave me this insight, was we were working on the sermon together this week. 
Finally, in time of testing, when it feels hard and difficult, let us cling to the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Let us cling to him. I want to quote all the verses of this song that I mentioned a few minutes ago. I actually tried to do them all from memory in the, in the car yesterday, and I got most of them, but I'll not rely on my memory this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then be in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, we are tested. And as your people, we want to pass the tests. Help us to resist the evil of wanting to be in control of our own lives. Help us to resist the evil of wanting to follow our desires and not your instructions. Help us to resist the evil of being entitled, making us grumbled and complaining when things aren't going the way we want to. Help us to follow you, to trust you, to obey you, to learn from you, that we might be an example for the world around us of your goodness, of your blessings, of your strength, that we might also be an encouragement to each other to be strong in the time of testing by trusting in you. We ask you for these things, Lord, in the name of Christ, who is our rock. Amen.